ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'm your host and the creative arts director at Foothills Christian Church in beautiful Boise, Idaho. Today on the Salty Pastor, we are discussing happiness. Where does authentic happiness come from? Why does it, what does it mean to be happy? Is happiness a random thing out of your control or can you be happy and regardless of your circumstances? Finally, why are so many people in America unhappy even though they live in the most affluent society in the history of the world. Welcome to the Salty Pastor, a podcast designed for you to dig deeper into the Bible and see what is in there and how it applies to our everyday life. Let's welcome Dr. Douglas Peak, our Salty Pastor. <laughs> good, good, good. There's a lot of words in that intro there. All the words. <laughs> All the words we got in it. there. We got we got it. It. You're a pro. You are the consummate professional. I do my best. <laughs> So I'm really interested in this topic of happiness that we're going to discuss today because I see so many people who are unhappy about Mm -hmm. life. Yes. Why do people struggle with being happy these days? Well, I think um, it goes back to the fact that ideas actually matter. And one of the things I say often is that what you believe about yourself is one of the most important things about you. That's why... A relationship with Jesus begins with believe, you know, in Romans, Paul says, believe in the name of the Lord or call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And then he says, believe. And so belief is very, very powerful. Now, we started last week with the happiness baseline concept, right, uh, where you actually have kind of a set point. And uh, what that basically means is that all research points to the fact that your moods can change depending upon what happens to you. Right. So something really good happens, right? So your mood is like, wow, I'm so happy. And then something bad happens. Oh, I'm so bummed this bad thing happened. But after a short period of time, you always return to your baseline, right? To your set point. So if you focus on good things happening to you and avoid bad things happening to you, you can influence your moods, right? But you always return to your baseline or your set point eventually. Right. Okay. So, so that's what we've been talking about. And we really dug into that initially. And that's why uh, Paul writes a book of Philippians because it talks about how he had a set point that was so high his joy was overwhelming regardless of the fact that he was in prison and writing to these people while he was in chains. So it takes an intentional effort to shift your focus uh, away from your mood management right. to your baseline, right? right? And how am I going to influence my baseline? Because uh, that's what makes all the difference in the world. And I believe in chapter 2, Paul makes a connection to the... He basically says, your baseline is your attitude. So the more I intentionally focus on changing my set point or my baseline, the more happy I will become. Mm -hmm. And Paul describes this baseline as your attitude, um, is what you're saying. What exactly is an attitude, according to Paul? (laughs) Well, that, that's really interesting. Now, um, we're going to talk about some things. You know, on Tuesday of this week, we really dug into chapter two, the first half of it, and really uncovered. So, 
if, if you haven't listened to that, I would encourage you to listen to that one first. Otherwise, you'll think I'm just kind of veering off into uh, all these crazy <laughs> things. But this is all a this is a an understanding of how, you know, some research simply points to the truth of what the scriptures are already teaching. And that's very important that people understand that. And that is, uh, psychologists describe it at this, is that your attitude is a mental construct. It's a psychological construct. And it's kind of like a diver's mask when you go diving. Now, if you, you know, jump in a pool or you jump in a lake or the ocean, you open your eyes, you know, everything is blurry, right? Right. But if you put on a diver's mask, everything becomes clear and you can interact with your environment. So mentally, psychologically, you have that, and that's called your attitude. And an attitude is, uh, uh, Hogg and Vaughn wrote in 2005, a relatively enduring organization. So it's relative, but it's strong and it lasts inside of you, and it's an organized set, an organized construct of your beliefs, your feelings and behavioral tendencies towards socially significant stuff that's going on in your life. Okay. So this construct is made up of what you believe, what you feel, and how you act. So your willful decisions. Now what you're seeing is now this is really biblically oriented language because Paul always talks about these three aspects of what it means to be a human being. So an attitude is made up of what your emotional state is as a set point, not your mood, but your set point. It's based on what you actually believe. So what you believe about yourself is one of the most important things about you and whether or not you are a spiritually renewed person. And that's really where salvation has the biggest impact on people. And that is you can know about Jesus and not be redeemed and renewed. You can uh, believe that there is a Jesus and what he did. Right. But you don't believe in him and know him. This is why Jesus said in Matthew chapter seven, he says, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven because I will say, depart. I never knew you. So it's not enough to believe there is a Jesus. You have to believe in him. You have to know him. So there is a difference there, but that influences your attitude. So your attitude is what drives your behavior, right? Right. It's what drives your emotions. It what drives your perception of reality. So it has the biggest influence on your love life. It has the biggest impact on whether you look at your life and what's going on is fulfilling and meaningful or if you see it as empty depressing and full of despair so your attitude is really really powerful you know i i I could say it like this uh there's a morning all right it's a spring morning in may which sounds nice right now as it's yeah. cooling off here in Idaho. Yeah. Well, it sounds nice to you because you have a good attitude. <laughs> okay. <laughs> See? And the birds are chirping, right? right. And the, the, the sunrise is, you know, ablaze because of the clouds are still remaining from the night before. It's just gorgeous. You get up in the morning. Uh, physically, you know, you had a great night's sleep. You feel good. And... And uh, these things are happening. So you you get up in the morning and it's your attitude that takes in all this data and goes, man, this is a great day. Right. Right. 
It's your attitude that gets up in the morning and says, this day's terrible, you know? Like, for instance, what if a person's suffering from addiction, you know, and uh, th- they wake up, and, and even though the sun is shining, the birds are singing, it, it's going to be a beautifully warm day, and the flowers are blooming, they're, they're nursing a hangover, or their addiction has them, so they're, they're looking, man, I just survived another day. So it's a bad day for them. Right. What, what makes a difference is the, the psychological construct, the mental construct that interprets the data coming in and then drives your behavior in response to it. It's like the lens or the filter, which everything's going through. So I, yes. I, I think I'm tracking here. <laughs> uh, so I guess my next question is this. What actually influences your attitude? If everything's being perceived through this lens or filter, mm-hmm. what's actually influencing that attitude and what makes it good or bad? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a great question. And the primary influence of your attitude is your core beliefs. So okay. that's, that's number one. Number two, it's your core emotional interaction with reality. And in other words, what you perceive. Because what you perceive is the data, right? Your senses, you know, uh, the five main sentences, senses are bringing in data. Right. Right. And then your attitude organizes it and interacts with it. Okay, And so that makes a huge impact on what you end up believing because it either reinforces your belief or it undermines your belief. Right. Right. So those things interact together. These are all interactions. Uh, Therefore, your your attitude can be influenced dramatically by facts. Uh, Now, your capacity to see objective reality, not just any reality, but objective reality. And this is the knowledge of oneself that that really impacts your attitude. And then whether or not you understand or believe there is revealed or objective truth, all of these things impact your attitude. So the attitude of the country right now with the attitude of people today being so negative or tending towards despair is a result of the fact that our beliefs, our core beliefs have changed and our core concept of reality has changed. And therefore, our emotional interaction with our changed beliefs and our changed uh, definition of reality is causing us to move more towards a negative or bad attitude okay you, is that you tracking with that yes i'm, I'm good so far <laughs> all right I, well <laughs> you've 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 hit the like these are the things that are that are affecting our attitude yeah. and then now we're kind of talking about why the country as a whole is yeah I, yeah because yeah we were said why are so many people unhappy right. you're asking so the things that can really positively impact or change your attitude is this here's some uh, we're going to talk about here's what you can practically do right now and to, to make positive investment in your attitude and then negative investment in your attitude. Okay. Right. So first of all, is that you have to make a decision and that means you have free will. You have a, you have the willful capacity to get up and say, I choose my attitude. So that's very important to understand. Okay. okay? You're not just letting life happen to you. Right. Um, secondly, you must seek truth okay and not facts about a situation you know you don't get up in the morning on that may day and go what's the temperature 
How many birds are singing? What, what birds are those? What kind, oh, flowers are blooming. What type of flowers? Those are, those are facts about the situation, right? What I mean is you need to get up and you need to seek the truth of who you actually are in the reality in which you exist. This is called orienting oneself in reality. And uh, our society has lost the capacity to do this. And that's why so many people are unhappy is they don't know how to uh, orient themselves towards the world. And this was very, very important in the 19th and early 20th century. And that was, is we want to help boys become men. We want them to be able to put their shoulders back, stick their chest out, their chin up and face the world in front of them. And that was a way of saying, orient yourself in the world. You are not a victim of the world. You can, you can engage with the world and you can be victorious and have a great life. Right. Well, our society doesn't preach or teach or engage that through media or through any other means. The second thing you have to do is you have to, or so I'm sorry, that was the second thing. The third thing you must do is live out the attitude you've chosen. You know, if psychologists are saying that it is our attitude from which we embrace the world, then it's our experience from the world that forms and modifies our attitude. So like I choose the attitude in the morning, I get up and I say, boy, this is going to be a great day, right? And then you go outside and what is it? It's, it's not hot, but it's warm. And so what, what does that data point then do? It reinforce, oh, I like warm, you know, yeah. a nice warm day. Oh, it's going to be a great day. And then you see the sun shining. So you say to yourself, because you don't like rain, you're like, wow, man, the rainstorms are gone. This is going to be a great day. So you see how you choose your attitude and then your attitude influences the way you interpret the data that's coming right. in. You're confirming your own right. attitude. That's why you want to make sure that you have a good grasp of what you believe and know you believe and of reality. Okay. Now, the other thing could be this is you get up in the morning and it's raining. Right. Right. And so you think to yourself, this is going to be a great day because we need the rain and flowers will bloom tomorrow. You see it. So that that intentional choice influences your attitude and then it reinforces it. So do those things, the negative things that impact your attitude. In other words, don't do these things is this. Don't be deceived that you have no choice. Most people have bad attitudes because they believe in the deception of Satan that they have no choice. This is called the deception of disempowerment. When people feel they have no choice, they lose hope and they get angry or frustrated or depressed. And no one likes being backed into a corner. No one likes feeling that they can't make a choice. And this is Viktor Frankl's point in the first half of his book, Man's Search for Meaning. We've mentioned that before because he said in this Nazi concentration camp, he said the one thing you could always have control over is your choice of how to respond to what was going on around you. So you, you get to choose your attitude right. <laughs> towards it. That's what he was saying. And so he said when people chose the right attitude, they, who, the people who figured this out never lost hope and were able to survive because they were much stronger people. So you want to, first of all, believe you have a choice no matter what. You always have a choice. And number two, 
what you want to do is make sure you pick the right definition of reality. Because if you pick the wrong one, that is going to so mess up your attitude. If you believe that your existence in the world is that the world is here to make you happy and that's its job, then your attitude's always going to be bad because you have a wrong definition of reality. Does that make sense? Yes. If you have the wrong definition of, of why human beings exist, that's going to give you a bad attitude and it's going to weaken you and not strengthen you. All right. So, I mean, these were some pretty high concepts. Yes. I mean, pretty cerebral. We're, we're getting <laughs> into, the, into the thick of it. Could you bring this a little further down to earth, you know, connect the dots for us. I mean, most of us just want to sing the happy song by Pharrell. <laughs> yeah. Like that's, that's what we want. That's so what we want. How, that's how, a good... how do we get to that point? Why like, you get can, can we bring it down a, a couple steps? Okay. Well, here, here's the truth for you. And that is spiritual people, people who spend time thinking about their soul can become the happiest people in the world. C.S. Lewis talks about how surprised by joy he was and that that really is what following God is all about. It's about discovering pure and unadulterated joy and happiness in life. Um, ask yourself this question. Why have so many people throughout history, particularly Western civilization history, over the last 2,000 years, adopted a view of reality that is articulated in the New Testament? It's just 20, it's a library of 27 books that focus on Jesus, right? Right. And what he taught. And it was written by the apostles who followed him. None of these people uh, came from other types of nations and states. They weren't uh, uh, commissaries. They weren't uh, consulate people. They weren't you know, ambassadors. They weren't any of these things. They were fishermen <laughs> and they were in a very small area of the globe. Uh, none of them were highly educated. None of them ruled. None of them were military conquerors other than this little library of books about Jesus. Jesus himself never wrote a book, right? So why is it that the world is dominated today? even Islamic worlds by the definition of what it means to be human articulated in the 27 books of the New Testament. I mean, that's a pretty important question to answer. Right. And the reason why is because the definition of what it means to be human discussed in the New Testament is the most positive and life affirming vision of what it means to be a human being. It explains how you can be, Filled with happiness, you can do wonderful things and be a joyful person and be a blessed person and experience the depth of love and friendship and loyalty and courage together and adventure together, all those things. Well, at the same time, you can kind of be a, a little bit of a jerk on occasions. You know, it explains all of that. It, it is the most complete explanation of the nature of human beings. The atheistic explanation of human beings is really pretty irrational, which is odd since atheists claim they're the most rational people right. out there. It's completely irrational. Uh, Sam Harris wrote a book where he, uh, he's a famous atheist. He's one of their intellectual leaders where he talks about how 
guess what? A hu- if you're a human being, you have zero free will. You don't have free will. You are a deterministic being. And so I'm like, okay, that flies in the face of all reality, you know, because everybody operates on free will. And his point is, is that, well, actually, that's an illusion. See, it's a helpful illusion. And then my next question is, well, why is it helpful? Because if we're deterministic, there's no way to make a moral judgment if it's good or bad. You see, it just is. And so that that seems to be really ridiculous to me. The Islamic explanation of human nature is fascinating because what it does is it adopts the New Testament's view of what it means to be a human being. But then what it does is it answers it in a different way than Jesus answered it. And that is, is that the way you find human fulfillment is by knowing God. And in Islam, it's by fearing God. See, Uh, we could dig into that another time. The definition of human beings discussed in the New Testament bring about the greatest expression of what it means to be fulfilled as a human being. People are the healthiest when they adopt this definition of what it means to be human. So if you want to sing the happy song, uh, the way you raise your baseline, the way you have a much stronger attitude of joy for everything going on in your life is you must adopt that reality of who you are in relation to God and what Jesus Christ has come to do in your life. So that's the ideal outlook way to raise our attitude what's the world's definition of human human beings kind of result in well i think this is answers the question of why not only are people so unhappy in america today but i think it's why our politics are so divided and i think that's why people are so confused and our judicial system is really upside down right now in trying to navigate this and I, i don't mean that as a is a criticism just as a descriptor right um uh, for instance, it all goes back to critical race theory and how that has become the predominant uh, paradigm of thought. It is the predominant and it's based on a definition of human beings that is secular humanist in nature. And so the, the goal was, is that, well, if we're going to separate church and state, this was very popular in the 60s and 70s. What we have to do is we have to come up with a definition of what it means to be a human being that counters that. And now the natural outcome of what a human being is today is like, for instance, you see this very dramatically in uh, the, the gender discussion. And that is, is that gender is no longer male and female. It's whatever you want it to be because gender is a social construct. So what it means to be a female is simply a social construct. And what it means to be a male is a social construct. Now, this, of course, is a refutation of biological scientific fact. And right. that is, is that males have this thing that happens to them called testosterone. A lot of people are not aware of this, but all babies, when they are conceived, are female. So you were a female at one point, Jesse. I have mixed feelings about this. <laughs> it's like, Pastor, where are you going on this? <laughs> I mean, I did. I do remember learning about this at one point, but yeah. it, this was back. So very in, early back, on, back, yeah, way back when when the, the first starts off, it starts uh, in the womb, very very early on, and it's like at the 
fourth week to sixth week or something is that the the embryo is that little Y chromosome in there tells the 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 mother's body to release testosterone and it floods that little embryo with testosterone. And so what that does is the ovaries then start to travel down in a sac uh, from the vulva is formed and those is what becomes the testicles you see and so then what happens is throughout your life after you're born all this testosterone is flooded into your system constantly as a male this creates masculinity and that is a biological process that right. is an objective truth well critical race theory says no that's just a social construct you see and that's not really what's happening so you can just see is it's it's to me it's just like how do you engage with something that is that irrational it is super religious in nature you know it's zealotry and uh it really comes to this point and that is uh the issue of transgenderism right and it it's important to understand like right now in the state of idaho there was a movement through uh uh, title nine and some other things like that is that if you were born right a biological male so your body has been flooded with testosterone and then at some point you decide i feel i'm actually a woman and i want to identify and since gender is a social construct i can now choose to be a woman and so i'm going to go on some type of hormone treatment right then i'm gonna then i can compete with biological females well of course if you're a biological female or the parent of one, you immediately see how crazy that is, right? Because what it does is it doesn't enhance or affirm femaleness. What it does is it, it, uh, it de depresses the value of femaleness, right? Because females are not unique anymore. You see, we just can switch and be whatever we want well and, and the thing about transgenderism which is really which the psychologists actually call it uh, body dysmorphia it's a it's a perception and and what they found in nations outside of america that have embraced transgenderism for over 30 years is that there's uh as children uh, they grow up a lot of them will go through a hormonal treatment that suppresses puberty and then they can do uh, sex reassignment surgeries and all that kind of stuff and what the research has shown is that the unfortunate outcome of transgenderism is over 40 percent commit suicide which is horrendously wow. painful it's so sad and what people who buy into critical race theory believe is that well the reason they do is because society constructs a rejection of them but these cultures these nations have embraced it for over 30 years right and encouraged right. it and celebrated it and guess what the suicide rate has remained the same even in those countries that celebrate it so there's something else going on biological and uh, the refusal to do research on it is really astounding today. There's been a bunch of uh, studies on it that have been suppressed, and they're just now starting to come out being peer-reviewed and being shown to show something else is going on. Mm -hmm. Now, 
the thing is, is that despair, right? Uh, depression and despair and hopelessness is horrible. It's a horrible thing for people to, but why are people being victims of this? Uh, are people struggling with these issues because of a social construct or is it because our society has bought into a definition of humanity that rejects the actual reality of who we are as people, as human beings. And I think that's closer to the truth than anyone will ever know. Well, we went through some pretty um, <laughs> high-level stuff today. I'm going to have to, after we finish recording, go back and re-listen to this, I think, to catch some of the, the concepts. But I think it's all very good, and it's giving us a broader understanding of true happiness and how we can mm -hmm. have that. Um, this weekend, we're continuing our series, Hashtag Blessed, on Sunday. You're going to mm -hmm. be preaching um, on a lot of these concepts that we've been talking in uh, much deeper depth um, during the podcast. In a different sort of way. In a different sort of way. Yes. Um, but uh, make sure you guys join us uh, for that to kind of get the final part of this whole um, series on happiness that we've been talking about this week um, from Philippians chapter 2. Um, but we'll see you guys on Sunday. Right. Thanks so much for joining us. And then join us next week for right. another episode of The Salty Pastor. <laughs> Blessings, everyone.